Welcome to the Step 7 Ministries Podcast, where we share Jesus with the addicted to see men become Christ-centered, set free from their addiction, and transformed into leaders. This podcast is about the men of Step 7 Ministries and their stories of transformation. My name's Mike, and I love everything about Step 7 Ministries. I've sat down with many of the men who've started their transformation from men addicted and hopeless to men filled with purpose, direction, and determination to share the message of grace that Jesus has brought to them in their lives. These are the stories of men Jesus got a hold of and have lived a life of recovery ever since. These men, they're not perfect, but they're growing. They haven't arrived yet, but they are fully living and sold out for Jesus. Join us as we listen in to today's story of transformation. Hello, friends. Welcome again to the Step 7 Podcast. And today you've got a great story with Bobby and a bonus. I can't wait for you to hear the bonus as well. But Bobby's story is a little bit different from all the rest of the guys. But each story is unique. And that's what I love about doing this uh, this ministry here. So I hope that uh, you can listen in, enjoy Bobby's story of transformation, and just find out where Jesus showed up for him. These Jesus showed up for all these guys. But listen to Bobby's story and enjoy his transformation. Okay, today I am sitting here with my friend Bobby, and uh, this has been a uh, a little bit of a journey. I say this with every episode, but it's been a little bit of a journey to um, to sit down with you today. Yeah, yes, it has. <laughs> um, actually, for those listening, we're sitting in his his house, his apartment, and uh, there's a um, reason he we're in his apartment. So uh, most of the time, I'm doing these recordings of these stories at the Step Seven office in Parker, Colorado. Um, but today I'm at Bobby's house and, uh, we're going to be getting into, to Bobby's story. So really appreciate you being here today, Bobby. Thanks, Thanks. Mike. I appreciate it. Yeah. It's, it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a little while. Well, with these, um, these stories and these interviews, I'm not going to ask about the, you know, football and everything like that. And, uh, I want to just, let's talk about your story, Bobby. Let's okay. talk about where you came from. Let's talk about, you know, what brought you into your addiction. So, Right before we started recording, I realized that you know I haven't I've known you now for uh-huh. a couple of years since <laughs> right. you've been in Step Seven, but I haven't really heard your story. Yeah. And more and more often, I'm finding with these with you guys who I'm sitting with you, you haven't actually sat down to share your story uh-huh. uh, fully in just like one sitting. And so this is really cool. It is cool. Uh, it's I'm cool excited. for me. It's cool. I'm, I'm sure excited. for the guys out there listening yeah. to to this. So um, tell me about like maybe where you're from and okay. what happened that brought you into addiction as you were younger. Okay. So it's funny. I didn't really. I was born in Minnesota. I moved around a couple of times. I had my addiction was alcohol. I struggled with alcohol a lot. I actually didn't have, you know, growing up with my parents, they didn't drink. So I didn't ever see that. And so house. it wasn't in your home. No, they they would drink wine coolers on like New Year's Eve. Wow. So I would have like little sips of wine coolers, you know, as I was growing up. But I I didn't take my first, like, real, like, alcoholic drink until I was 21 on my 21st birthday. On your 21st birthday, wow. That was the first time I ever had any any alcohol. Wow. So. What, what, um, okay, I'm not going to try to analyze it. No, yeah. But, so, but what was life like growing up? Did you have, uh, you have siblings? I have a sister. I had, my mom didn't work. She stayed at home. And so my dad worked. But we had a good, we had a good family dynamic, you know. Okay. He would go to work and come home and make dinner, and we'd have family dinner, and 
everything. They're still married for 40 some years, 50 years later almost. So I had a good, I had a good childhood. We were kind of wealthy. And so I was spoiled and got what I wanted, <laughs> but I didn't have, yeah, I didn't have the, I had the good family dynamic. We did a lot of things together and we were always together. And so I grew up with a very structured and loving, supportive family. That's good. That's which refreshing to hear. Yes. <laughs> but as I've learned, you know, now some of the things have made, I can see where my, some of my addiction came from, from my family. Really? So, yeah. Okay. Just the way, like my, my mom and me, our relationship is kind of, rocky roaded over my addiction she's very uh bitter and she holds grudges very mm. easily and so she has epilepsy so growing up she couldn't work because she's with the epilepsy it made it really hard right so just that dynamic of not realizing how i was being raised with her until i got to an adult kind of I've unpacked that lately and realized that my mom was sometimes a part of the reason for my addiction as well. Just that bitterness and hold on to that resentment that. So even though you had a loving or a uh -huh. structured home, every family has, you know, its own issues. Exactly. Uh, so kind of looking back on that. So, um, we can move through your, your, you know, growing up in high school years, but, uh, -huh. uh what, uh, how was, was high school just a typical high school for you? Did you, move around at all you stayed no, in school? I stayed in Texas for all four years so okay I loved high school did you yeah I was I was popular and I was, were you yeah I played soccer and everything high school was I loved high school I was that was one of my favorite times was going through high school was it really yeah I enjoyed it a lot so you're a soccer person soccer I'm a guy. soccer person yeah I, was, I wouldn't know that about you because yeah. I thought you were all about football not <laughs> <Yeah>. football <laughs> I love American football but I played American soccer. <laughs> oh, did you? Yeah. Do you still play any? No. No? No. Because there's lots of like indoor and outdoor soccer. There leagues. is a lot, but no, I haven't so played much. in I haven't played in years. But Okay. Yeah. I loved high school. I had good friends there. I'm actually there's a couple that I still there's a guy named Scott that I still stay close with and he's always been that person that when I started my addiction for a while, he's been there I'll always reach out to him and been a good friend yeah. since then. And so He's been supportive of my journey and all of that. And right. so, but yeah, but high school is actually where I met. So I grew up Catholic. We went to Catholic church. Once I got to middle school or I went to elementary school, we went to a Catholic church for school and then we got to middle school and we stopped going to church. So just in general, didn't want to high school or went to just a public school for middle school. And then we stopped going to church. And I got to high school and started playing sports and got involved with the football, a bunch of football players. And we went to youth group every week in church. So that's where I started getting back into my relationship with God when I was in high school. Oh, really? Yeah. On your own, though, not with your family? Not, on, not with my family. Yeah. Not on my own with all my friends. Right. So all the... How was that experience? It was, it was great. Yeah? Yeah. We... We did a lot of, you know, we did some dumb things. Well, of course, <laughs> you know, we're high school kids. Naturally, we did, we did some, we did some dumb things. But that it was, uh, I had this 
funny, funny. I had my youth ministers. His name was Brian. You know. Oh, there's there's a steam there are a lot of Brian. There, there's a steam with his name Brian yes. in my life that that involves you know people of authority with churches. But yeah, he was our youth minister, and we were always over at him and his wife's house. They lived like two blocks away from us, and we would always go over there and hang out. He was huge, a huge sports guy. So it was just that kind of that figure that we were all looking for in high school. Yeah, some other than our parents, you know, just someone that you could relate with and who actually cared about you and showed who God and Jesus were to us in high school. I was going to say, did he shape how you understood God at the time? Uh, He did. It's hard to, it's hard to remember because my memory is terrible. I don't know if it's stuff I don't want to remember and I just kind of forgot about it or not, but there's times where I can't, you know, I've tried to talk with Bree and stuff and I'm like, I don't remember any of these stories, but I remember how good of a guy this this guy named Brian was, but I don't, you know, picking and choosing things. It's it's like one giant. But he gave you at least a positive. He did. Picture of God. He did a very yeah. positive picture, and I went to. I think we started that in my sophomore year, and all the way through high school, finished that, and then went to a small school in Texas called Tarleton for college. Okay, and, yeah, I was going to ask yeah. what was next, and then I got hooked in with. Uh, a Bible study out there for the, I think it was like Tuesday or Wednesday nights, got hooked up with that for a while. And then after my first year there, I, I left. Okay. <laughs> and I went back home and actually two of my buddies that I grew up with in high school, we moved to Fresno, California together from Texas. Yeah. Just uh, from uh, Texas. What drove you to like, what brought you? Uh, why'd you go to Fresno? Because it was cheap to afford for college. Oh, it was a school. That's it right. was a school we went to. That explains yeah. why I always see something about Fresno yeah. State. <laughs> that really. explains all of it. But it was cheap. And we I wanted don't, to... Uh, you know, I don't connect cheap in California. I know. It was, though. Back then? Yeah. Wow. I think we paid like $10,000 per year. Wow. For, yeah. Even for out-of-state tuition. Even out-of-state tuition. Once we went in-state, it was like four grand a semester. It was... Oh, no it kidding. It was great. Yeah. But we wanted somewhere that was we was affordable but we all liked sports, so we wanted to go somewhere where they had a decent sports team that we could root for and follow after okay. after we graduated. And did you have a Fresno was one? Did you have a major? I assume uh, mass communication and journalism. Mass wanted, communication yep, journalism. Got I wanted it. to be doing this. What we're doing? I wanted to talk on the air. Oh yeah, on the radio or do a television. Oh yeah, because we have an audience of tens of <laughs> it's, it's tens right. of tens here. It's exactly. <laughs> but I I wanted to do like sports television, sports radio. Okay. And I got hooked up with a, a internship at one of the sports radio stations in Fresno in my senior year and. Did that for six months, and the guy that actually worked there works for the NFL Network now. He's one of their really? uh, yeah. He's one of their and our fantasy experts that gets to okay. do that. But just didn't line up for me, you know. Yeah, this is a tough you know this is a tough business to break into. Is it really? Yeah, you have to know somebody or go spend some time in Oregon or Montana or a small city and. Put in the work. Just to, put in some of the hours. Just put in the work. Yeah. But so, it, but you you want you went to Fresno State to. Uh-huh. That was one of your goals. When like during high school, did you think you wanted to do this? Is I, it sports journalism? Yes, I wanted to do this since I could remember. Really? Yeah. I've yeah. There was a back in the day. There was something on ESPN called. Oh no, what was it? I don't remember what it was called, but they 
came to I remember going in Dallas to this huge convention and they tried to find the next like media guy and the next guy who could call be on TV. So right, I went, right. you know, applied for it and did all these things to try to get to be that guy. And it just didn't happen. But wow. yeah, I've wanted to do this. But since it, was I a, was, it was a dream for you. It was a dream. Yeah. I've won. It's probably since I was a kid, you know, me and my dad grew up watching sports all, all day long. So, yeah. So yeah, I've wanted to be somehow in sports in the sports field okay. since I was a kid. And so just never came that way. <laughs> well, Let's go back in time, though. You you were in college. Mm-hmm. I assume you turned 21 in college. I did, yeah. Uh, you mentioned a few minutes ago that when you first started drinking at uh, the age of 21 is when things started slipping for you. Uh, not really slipping. It wasn't. But it was in your introduction to it. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, was that while you were at Fresno State? It was while I was at Fresno State. It was actually funny because I'm a White Sox fan. Okay. And on my 21st birthday, the White Sox were in the World Series that year. Oh, really? In 2005. Huh. So my first experience with getting drunk was at an Outback Steakhouse watching Game 3 of the World Series. Wow. <laughs> A game that lasted 17 innings that I went back home and finished watching. <laughs> oh, wow. So that I was think I remember that, that. Yeah, against Houston. Huh. That was my 21st birthday was okay. Outback Steakhouse and beers and shots <laughs> so this opened up a new world for you though in terms of yeah. access to alcohol yeah it did and it was it's funny because when i i moved out to fresno with my buddy kyle and his dad actually came out in september so a month before our my birthday and he took he went to the liquor store and like he put filled up our fridge and pantry with beer and booze wow but i told him i'm like i'm gonna wait till my 21st birthday i'm not gonna you know, drink any of this beforehand. So I had access to it before, but I just, right. it never, you know, it wasn't that much of a, a hassle. And then just going through college, like, you know, I like get typical college kid. Yep. We drank and have fun every once in a while, but it really didn't, it wasn't, it didn't have the hold on me as it did until when it did. You okay. Know? There was that turning point yeah. when, when alcohol was, <laughs> the only thing that could make fill the holes in the yeah. needs. and so but in college it was just a normal kid you know i could i still went to classes there wasn't you know we still partied and had our fun time but right it was i could still be a functioning adult and enjoy alcohol and not let Made it, it through cons- classes yeah and, and not let not let graduated it cons- not let it consume me so yes yeah. exactly so it was after that <laughs> so you graduated though yeah but uh graduated. your goal didn't did your goal didn't uh, turn out? Yeah, no, the goal did not turn out. Uh, it was funny. My senior professor on my last year in college, we had a class of 28 of us and that went through this whole mass communication field and process and everything. And very last class of our senior year, and he looks at us and he's like, of the 28 of you, three of you are going to succeed and actually do land in this field. The other 25 of you are going to be working Somewhere else, but you'll never do a single day working in media or television or anything. And he was very accurate because three of us ended up working in that field and everyone else did something else. But that could be a, <laughs> I don't know, that sounds like you're setting a bunch of people up to, you know, go on and make other choices, I guess. Yes, but, yes. Or to not have the fight to keep up the, you know, the, the path with me because whatever, I... It, it was very, yeah, very discouraging. I wish I yeah. knew that before my last class of my senior year. Like if year. you walked out of that classroom and 
you just said to someone and said, hey, you know what this guy just said right. to me? And then that person sitting there says, you know what? If you do what you need to do, you can make it work you, out. You could. If you got to go work in middle of right. you know Montana somewhere, whatever, small right. market, for the next five years, you'll get there. You know, whatever. Right. There weren't all these motivating podcasts back then to listen to, right? Or no, anything. I don't there, know. there were, there <laughs> were. I wish there were, you know, I could have just started my own and been maybe doing something, but yeah. So that was very discouraging, uh, hearing, hearing that. So then I started, but that, did that set you up then to not try? Yeah, kind of, unfortunately, because I didn't have the connections and I was in a relationship at the time and I was going to get married. So I couldn't afford to go live in oh, Idaho right. or Montana or the small little town because yeah. there was someone else I had to think about and not just Bobby and myself. You yeah. Know? <laughs> so that kind of made that hard. So I, I started working at Starbucks and selling cars for Honda and just doing all. Did you all stay the, in Fresno? I stayed in Fresno for a little while. So I ended up getting married my first time. And we stayed in Fresno for a couple years after we got married. We had our first daughter, and then I moved to Texas, where we moved to Texas. She did not want to ever leave California. Really? Because her family was there, and she didn't want to move away from her family with having a kid and their grandkid. But I got an opportunity to work for a company I worked for in high school at a Bolton Tool place. I was gonna sell be a salesman for them and they were gonna pay me about sixty five thousand dollars a year what, what was the place uh fort fort worth bolton tool oh bolt and tool yeah it was a small okay. Bolton tool company and we i was gonna they be made one you an of their, offer yeah they made me an offer and i was take that or work at starbucks and make i think at the time like 12 bucks an hour 11 dollars an hour with a kid i'm like we should probably look into this so we convinced her i convinced her to move to texas and uh, where we moved in with my parents very bad idea really <laughs> with the my mom back in the yeah the yeah. story i talked about my mom yeah. that was a that started the setting it up for yeah the time that our relationship's at now so we moved in with them i started working at this bowling tool company did really well. It was about six months in, we moved in, bought our own, got our own apartment. And then right after we did that, the owner uh, decided he was probably nine, close to 90. He decided he was going to sell the company. And he sold the company. And they came in with the new ownership and took everyone's salaries away and went straight to commission. And my $65,000 a year I was making went down to $28,000 Wow! with just commission. It was terrible. So then we removed back in with my parents for a couple months until I was like, it just got, it just got bad, <laughs> you know? So you moved in, but kind of cause you didn't have a choice yes, financially. Yes. No, financially. Then, yes. And the dynamics yes, went be, downhill. Cause my mom never worked. My ex-wife didn't work. They had two dogs. We had three dogs. Wow. And a kid. So that was a full house. It was a very, especially with my mom and her 
everything. Right. It was not a good dynamic. So we decided we were going to move back to Fresno and live with her parents <laughs> because they told us to. So it was, yeah, it was a, we did that and we moved back there and we had our second child. And then I found, so there was, um, I'd never worked in like the restaurant field, but I always wanted to. And Buffalo Wild Wings was opening up a location like five minutes away from where we lived. So I applied to work at Buffalo Wild Wings. Didn't have any experience, so I got put on as a cashier and worked with a bunch of girls. Because, really? Yeah, because... <laughs> girls ca- work at Buffalo Wild Wings. Well, girls work as cashiers as Buffalo Wild right. Wings. The, the men are usually servers or bartenders, but I didn't have any experience. So we had just opened. It was the very first... Our first month was during the NFL playoffs, during the Super Bowl. So we were busy, crazy. I I was making more money in tips as a as a host, as a cashier, than servers and bartenders were. And my manager huh. caught on to this, and he's like, you want to be a server? And I'm like, yes, yes, I do. So then I got promoted to a server, and then and eventually got promoted to a bartender. And so that's where my... This is the start of where the addiction comes in. <laughs> Working in that field is yeah. is a very very hard. You're always well, sure. You're always around it, and everybody does something. You know, right? It's it's a very it's a very tough job to work in if you don't drink because everyone's doing it. And so, so we did that, and well, you're able to make a decent living. I made a very decent living within three months. We were renting our own house. And we rented houses. We rented a new house every year for six years. <laughs> she really just, because I I I progressed enough, and I had I was very good at what I did. So I had a lot of customers, a lot of regulars. I was at one point making like six thousand dollars a month bartending, just wow. making stupid money. And she didn't work. She stayed at home. And we eventually had our third kid. So we had three kids at this point in time. But she stayed at home. So she. So just, money, though, wasn't an issue at that point? Money wasn't an, an issue. No, it just because we had too much of it. <laughs> so right. we kept renting. And then we finally I got we got to the point. I was like, we're spending, we're paying like $2,600 a month for rent. I'm like, why are we paying this much money? Let's just buy a house. So we bought a house, and within this was in September. No, so okay, we'll back backwards a little. My, I, you know, she, she didn't work, and that was right. wasn't a problem for me. But she, we had this this rule of if I'm not working, I can hang out with my friends, kind of thing, because she always got I worked one job. I worked 80 hours a week. I was at this, my restaurant working doubles from open to close. I had one day off. So seven days a week I was working from open to close. And so I got, you know, started getting bitter and resentful that I'm working 80 hours a week and she gets to stay at home all day and go hang out with her friends and go do whatever and spend the money that I was making, you know, just started getting, like, why am I working so hard for all this? And you get to have, you know, I know she was raising the kids, but 
I was going to ask. You get what, to have the fun. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. What was it like? Um, and we kind of mentioned almost in passing yeah. your kids. Um, what was it like becoming a dad for you? It was, it was great, you know, and that it weirdly. So when we got married, we did the church, we went to church and everything. But after having my first kid, that kind of ruined my relationship with God. You know? Really? Yeah. So, um, it sounds really stupid now, but after my first kid was born, it just, it was during that point in time where everything bad was happening, you know, like in the world, worldwide. Like I had a buddy who, you know, he was high and drunk and I didn't, he wasn't a buddy. He was a, a guy that I served alcohol with at my bar. He was one of my regulars. He was high and drunk one day and he was driving home, got pulled over, was being dumb, got out of his car and wouldn't follow white guy, wouldn't follow the the law as to what the cops were asking. He got shot and killed. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. So during this time, then I had my first kid and I, this die ran through my head of, you know, seeing like hearing about babies dying young and everything. I'm like, what kind of God would take a kid who's never done anything wrong away? You know, why, why do all these people who, you know, do bad things who, why do they get the blessings and the opportunities, but a poor little baby who's never done anything wrong? Why does God take that kid away from their family? Even though it didn't happen to me, just those thoughts that ran through my head after I had my first kid. And that put the a weird relation that put a weird thing over my relationship with God for a while. It was, it was just became a little more skeptical. Yeah, sounds like. yeah, kind of. You know, questioning like why more do, cynical. Why do good or bad things happen to good people, and why? Yeah, you bad. couldn't answer the question. Uh huh. So it was that that made it you know a little a little bit difficult and challenging. Okay. And then, yeah, I just I didn't think think anything more of it i stopped going to church and doing all all those things just kind of was more like i'm just gonna live my life the way it is right now i didn't have a reason to be mad at god but i didn't have a reason to depend on him at that at that point in time because nothing was going (laughs) was going wrong in my life so it was like yeah i kind of viewed him as well i'll use him when i need it it. Yeah. yeah you know and since i don't need anything i'm i'm good so, um, but did becoming a dad change any perspective on life itself in terms of having these little ones in your house, uh-huh. in your life? It, it may, it was totally, I, she was, she, uh, my ex-wife was the one who she wanted kids. She wanted that stay at home mom thing. She'd always been a nanny or a babysitter and she just wanted kids. Yeah. I never really. I wanted to be a sports anchor. I wanted to do a sports, do sports. I didn't really care about, I never really wanted kids until I had my first, it didn't, wasn't a thought. It wasn't an option. Right. So, but then once I had my first one, I was like, okay, this is, <laughs> this is cool. It totally right. changes. Yeah. Totally changes everything. But then at the same point in time, as I get, got older and, you know, dynamics started to change, I would still, I would drink, I would do dumb things. But I didn't change the way I cared about my kids. You know, I would never drink with them, but I would, you know, there are things I may have been able to do differently, but I wouldn't change it because it wouldn't have led me to here. Right. But it's just, I think there's, there's things I did take for granted. You know, 
I thought that, oh, we here's the naive thinking of, well, we got married. We said I do. Your parents have been married since they were married. They've had trouble. My parents have been married since they first got married. They've had trouble. Like, trouble comes, you're going to get through it, you know. But trouble came in. She decided she was going to run. You know, she decided that I was too big of a hassle and it wasn't easy to to work on. So right. it wasn't, I just had that naive thinking of, oh, we're married, so everything, whatever. It's just going to work itself exactly. out. Exactly. We're going to be married for 50 years and whatever happens, happens, and good times are going to come and bad times are going to come. So, but. okay, now let's back up. Um, you, you started working as a bartender. Mm-hmm. Um, and you said that was the beginning of the drinking becoming yeah. more of a yeah. problem or mm-hmm. more of a habit mm-hmm. at that point. Were you using it to, did you find yourself using it to, I don't know, escape from things mm-hmm. or cope with things or just to be around people? At the, at the start, it was just to be around people. Okay. It was that, because I would go, my days would be, I would get to work at nine o'clock every day. And I would be closing at 10, and by the time I get out of there, it's 11. So I'm looking at a 12-hour day every day. And I would see the kids in the morning, take them to school, and then I'd go off to work. And I'd work with people all day long. And by the time I'd be done, it'd be 11 o'clock, she would be, my ex-wife would be asleep. You know, it's 11 o'clock at night. She's got kids. There's no reason that she didn't do so. I would use that opportunity to go to the bar across the street and go with coworkers and go hang out with people and be out till two o'clock in the morning. Mm. Okay. Because she was sleeping. Right. And at the start, it was totally, totally different. It would be maybe once, once a week I would do that. I'd go home after work and, you know, get up and do the thing. But after after a while, it got to the point where it was like my resentment, my why do you get to do all the things and I'm stuck here working. Like I missed a bunch of family trips because I had to work. She would go on vacation with the kids and her mom and her parents, her dad, and I would be stuck at work because I still had to pay the bills. It was kind of just that built up all of that. Did you ever talk to anybody about this or is it all just kind of rolling around in your head? Oh, it was just rolling around in my head. And yeah. so the way you were dealing with it was just, uh, you're, you're starting to deal with it uh-huh. was the drinking uh-huh. kind of spiraling. Uh-huh. And it didn't get bad. And then, well, it was, I would drink, but then, you know, you fast forward a couple of years and we had just bought in this house and it was in June that we bought the house. And in September, we were separated. So, long. So, what happened between June and September that, I mean, uh, you said she, yeah. you were becoming a hassle. What, yeah. is, what was a hassle? Well, I used the word hassle because that was the word you used, Bobby. Hmm. Um, so, what was going on that was kind of leading to this? That you're talking a fairly short amount of time from June to September. Yeah. Um, yeah. Was this where... In, was your um, addiction starting to get a little more no, impactful or no. just the dynamics happening? No, the addiction wasn't, you know, like I said, I would, I would do, I would hang out maybe two, three nights. I was getting to like two or three nights a week okay. of spending time with coworkers after work and coming home late. But prior to the, so we were living at one house 
at that point in time before we had decided to purchase a home. But we were living at a house before that, and there was a family that lived behind us. And they had two kids, you know, husband and wife, and they would, they were friends, you know, but the wife didn't work either, just like mine didn't. And her husband was working, but they had the kids and they were all close in age to mine. So they hung out. So the reason I was becoming a hassle was because my ex-wife was forming a relationship with the wife of this other couple and I was the hassle on the way. So we bought a house and then in September we went to Chili's or not. So we went to TGI Fridays on a Wednesday night because I remember this <laughs> and uh, she was telling me, she's like, you know, I still love you, but I have feelings for this other person and I want to be in a relationship with this person as well. Her husband's already agreed to this. And I want you to be okay with it and we can still be married and, and that, but I want to basically have two partners. And I'm like, no, mm. I do not No, You're my wife. We have kids together. Like I'm not doing this. And she's like, well, either you do this or we are going like you either agree to me doing this and still be married to me or we, I'm going to do this anyways, and we're not going to be married anymore. Wow. So I told her I don't agree with it, and September came, and we got, I got paperwork to for separation, and I moved out of the house and into an apartment that my old boss paid for me, and she moved them, whole family, into the house with my kids. <laughs> and then in November of that year, we were divorced. Wow. But that is when my addiction went crazy. <laughs> that's when you started that's, really leaning into the oh, addiction. Oh, that's, yeah, I wouldn't. Well, I mean, that's a rather traumatic experience yeah. to go through in just a few months' time. Yeah. Um, to, to, to turn to something that was already a comfort, mm. you know, is not exactly surprising. Yeah. Um, and yet... You you now found yourself and you didn't even like what about what what happened like with even uh, visiting the kids or seeing the kids or so I it was it was the weirdest thing I would get them okay so I moved into this apartment in September and I was just completely consumed with drinking all my money went to. Yeah, you had all yeah. time to yourself. All my money went to drinking, so I was working. I, you took some furniture from this house from from my house, you know. I took some of my clothes. I had a two bedroom apartment. I didn't have a bed in there. I had a couch, an Xbox, a TV, and some movies, and that was really it. I didn't furnish anything in there, so it made it hard. She, for her, it was easier to start she let the kids come over once and they told her that I didn't have anything in this apartment so that was her easy way to start blaming me and saying oh he's a drunk he's an alcoholic to cover up the fact of wow. what was really going on so that made it really hard and then there was I don't even know why there was a so she would let me I would still be able to see them 
it wasn't a problem. But I just, it, it was working, drinking. I would be up all day. You know, it was just, it sucked. And so I, there was a, it was a Friday night and I was working and the next day was uh, a UFC con. Like I worked right across the street from Save Mart Center in Fresno. So it's a huge event center where they host like concerts and everything. And there was a UFC there on a Saturday night and I worked Friday night and my boss was, you know, trying to convict me of stop doing what I'm doing and get my crap together because he was paying for the apartment that I was living in. And he knew that I didn't have any furniture in there. And that I was just, I was a mess. Like I functioned, but I was, should not have been working. Like, How many months are we talking here? Two within two months. Wow. So yeah, so this was a Friday in November and, or no, sorry, this was in December. We got divorced in November. So yeah, we just bought a house Separated, divorced, all in six months. Boom, 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 boom. So it's December. I saw them for this is I think what kind of started it. It was in, in on Thanksgiving. I had I had a co an, uh, an acquaintance, one of my customers. He invited me over for Thanksgiving dinner, and I went over and had dinner with his family. Was supposed to see the kids, and she didn't let me see the kids. So that kind of started this whole. I'm going to keep the kids away from you because I was the problem because I was drinking right. every day. And so we got into December right before it was the week before Christmas and it was a Friday night. My boss tried talking to me and telling me that I needed to fix things. Like I needed to figure it out. It sucks, but stop doing what you're doing. Everyone knew that I was a complete wreck. Yeah. yeah. Everyone knew I was a complete wreck, but I was weirdly able to manage, but, or I thought I was, you know. So he tells me all that. And I went after that, I proceeded to go out with a buddy and get drunk that night. And I was very just hurt and upset and bitter. And I turned my phone off and I didn't show up to work the next day. And I didn't show up to work the day after that. And then that Sunday night, I had my buddy take me to my apartment. I grabbed a duffel bag of clothes and I had him drop me off at the airport. Really? Yeah. And he dropped me off at the airport and I got a plane ticket to come out here and I left Fresno and moved out here to Denver. To Denver. That's yeah. where you started your time in. And that's how I started my time with Denver. What drew you to Denver? My parents lived here and it was oh, a okay. place where I could have a roof over my head because I knew I was losing it. Like I just had my car repoed. I, in California, I was not going to be able to pay rents. Like I was a mess. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to do what everyone does. I'm going to move to Denver and, and start fresh and everything's going to be fine. When I moved to Denver and I started fresh, but it's still, the addiction still falling. Yeah, you changed the circumstance, you changed the geography, but not the, yes, I changed the scenery and that's yeah. it. So I didn't tell my parents that I was moving out here. I didn't have that conversation with them at all. You didn't tell many, much of anybody. Oh, no. Like, I didn't tell much of anybody. I just left. So I got on a plane. I showed up out here. And I <laughs> proceeded to get off the airplane and find a restaurant and, you know, have some drinks. Because I'm like, how am I going to talk to my parents? I didn't even tell them. So then I got a cab and got dropped off at their house. 
Wow. Yeah. Knocked on the door. No one answered. I knew they were home because they don't ever leave their house. They're homebodies. So I sat out on the, the front porch until finally my dad opened <laughs> opened the front door. Did he, he know did they know what was going on with you as well? They they knew all the they knew all the logistics. They knew everything that happened. They didn't realize that I was that bad with drinking mm. at that point. Right. And so he opened the door and he's like, What are you doing here? And I'm like, Surprise, I'm just I I'm here. Starting over. <laughs> I'm here. He's like what are you doing here? I'm like, I'm, I moved out. I'm here. Like, this is where we're at. <laughs> so I lived with them for a couple months and got a job as, you know, a bartender yet again, because that's what I know how to do. And eventually the, the same patterns I was doing before getting done with work. And now this time I didn't have a wife or kids to go home to. So I don't want to go home and hang out with my parents so I would drink after I got off of work. And eventually it got to the point where my mom was like, you need to leave. And so she kicked me out. Really? <laughs> yeah. She kicked out her 34 or 33-year-old son. <laughs> kicked him out. And I went to live with my boss for a little while and lived in a hotel. Did that whole hotel stay for time and time. And just got, yeah, it was... It was bad. You had you had the work. I had the I had yeah. You, you I had, had the job, job, but it was of course a job that fed the the addiction. The addiction. Yeah. Um. But yeah. so money wasn't exactly the problem. No. Again. Yeah, that was the problem. Money wasn't the. Wasn't yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> that was the problem. Money wasn't the problem. Right. So just stepping back real quick, you had you were married for how many years? So we're ten. You were married for a total of ten yeah. years. Um. And marriage was fairly normal for most of that. Mm-hmm. It really was. We, the first eight years were fine. You know, I didn't, I would drink occasionally, but it wasn't, it wasn't an addiction at that point. I was able to hold my job and be a good dad and be a good husband and watch some sporting events. I would have a couple cores lights here and there, but it was never to the point it was after we got separated and the okay. divorce, but yeah, eight years, like we had our ups and downs. Yeah. We had some bumps and bruises along the way, but nothing of anything that ever would make me think that what we went to was going to happen Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> or where I was going to lead to after that was going to happen. Yeah. So, <laughs> but then, so the, the real tipping point though was the, the divorce separation mm. and uh, ultimately as you're, you know, you talked about a few minutes ago here, you decided to try to start all over again yeah. in a different locale, different yeah. location. Yeah. Um, but you, you know, your addiction followed you, but at the same uh, time, cause you were still fresh in this kind of trauma yeah. dealing with this, yeah. with this addiction. So, um, you, you had a job and continued to, as we just said, money wasn't a problem, no. <laughs> but at the same time, your addiction was starting to get up more of a hold of you uh-huh. and your mom was starting yeah. to notice, um, yeah. And were you asked to leave your, your was, mom and dad's house too? I was told to leave. Told to leave? Okay. I was voluntold to voluntold. leave. <laughs> there was no asking. It was pack your stuff and get out. And it was a it was in the middle of the night. I had literally gotten home from work slash drinking. And my mom was pissed. And she told me to pack my stuff up right then and there and leave. It was probably 3, 4 in the morning. Wow. Yeah. 
it wasn't a, oh, we'll just deal with it in the morning. We're going to, nope, right now you're leaving. <laughs> so I packed my solo bag up again. and Where'd you go? I went to my boss's house for a little while and then started to live in, do that hotel life of, you know, the rest, the bar restaurant I worked at is right down and was right down in DTC. So it was right next to the extended stay. So oh, yeah. So I could sleep at the extended stay at night and get up and walk to work in the morning. So that's that's the route I took. How long did how long were you in that routine? Uh for about a year, a year or so. And then But the I, the addiction wasn't getting better or what was it? Oh, I was drinking all the time. I was it was yeah. I was a bartender slash manager slash everything. No really. <laughs> so I had access to alcohol at my disposal you had some responsibilities though sounds yes, like I, I did i were I, you able to demonstrate some you know leadership ability with this yeah i was i i was a good manager yeah you know it's weird i i don't want to brag about this but i was <laughs> able to be a very good employee while I still be drunk at the same time it's not a well I'm, it's not a talent i'm proud of well but sure i maintained the same kind of thing through like at three years worth of jobs and my employers loved me and my guests loved me and just found a way to make it all work. <laughs> what was going on, on the inside of you? How did you feel about yourself around these times? This time? uh, probably I felt terrible probably, but the worst things it was look, the times that were the hardest was like missing birthdays and special events. There were special days that, you know, happened in my kids' lives. Those were the days where that's what fueled the addiction after a certain point in time because I got the last time. Oh my gosh. It's been since. So it's. It's been weird because I actually haven't talked to my kids since my daughter's birthday on January 9th of, what was that, four years ago? Wow, so that's really? the last time I've had any contact with them. I was my middle, this daughter, AJ's birthday on January 9th of, what was that, 2018? I haven't talked to them since. Wow. So she... She'll send me pictures every once in a while when she's feeling good or when she is getting her child support money. But she has always used the fact of my drinking and the way everything I handled everything because the kids have been through enough and I hurt them so much. So she's afraid that I'm going to hurt them more. It's so, that's, yeah. so that's why she won't. Hasn't let me talk to him in four years. Wow. So that's the last. I'm sorry. Yeah. That is tough as a. It's very tough. As a dad's heart. So, yeah. So getting, you know, during those couple of years, it's gotten easier. Well, since I've been sober for well, two, and sure. half, two and a half years now, it's gotten a lot easier Yeah. on their birthdays. But like their birthdays and everything prior to step seven and Jesus and becoming sober was usually the days where. Because there, I had two of them were in, or sorry, 
AJ's birthday was in January, and then the other two were in February. Okay. So it was really back to back to back. Yeah. You know, three birthdays in two months, and it was like the start of the year was the worst time because I would just start, you know, drinking. And then I would start blaming her and getting mad, and I would just carry on throughout. <laughs> so you I, had a lot of bitterness. Yes. A lot of, uh, I don't yes. know if hate is the right word, but a lot of bitterness. Bitterness for sure, Yeah. And you were dealing with all of that by just numbing it with uh-huh. the alcohol. Uh-huh. Um, were you at this point starting to hit to your get to your lowest point? I don't know. Can you can you pinpoint that at all? Or uh... so, yeah, and that's the thing. I hear people talk about hitting rock bottom, and I don't know if I ever. I feel like I like drug across it, <laughs> right? <laughs> like because there was so many moments, and it's, mm. I just like. I never, you know, there were some, and just not vaguely, but there were, you know, times where I was like, I don't want to be here anymore, but I never took that next step to trying to do that. I always was like, I want my kids in my life, no matter how this looks. So those thoughts of not wanting to be here would creep in every once in a while, but it never got to that point of I'm going to not be here anymore. Because in a weird way, I am afraid to die. <laughs> I still am afraid of what the afterlife looks like. <laughs> it's a fear that I've had since I was a kid. So, like, I couldn't. <laughs> right. I want to live as long as I can. I don't want to. <laughs> sure. I don't want to meet Jesus anytime <laughs> before it's the calling. <laughs> right, right, right. So, but no, I, I there was. So we get to this point of I was living with one of my old coworkers for a couple months sleeping on his couch and he was a ex bartender as well. And just all we did was drink together. And it was very, it was very toxic and bad. I can imagine he had a girl who lived with us and they were together and he was fine when he was sober, but when he would drink, he would turn into a, a jerk and he would abuse and not me, but he would be very verbally abusive towards this woman. I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? <laughs> wow. So it's weirdly funny, but February 15th of 2020. Yeah. 2020. Right. That's two. No, I'm, so I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to back, 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 back. All right. Up. Go so, back, back. So we're going to back up. I was working at a, a local restaurant in, in Parker over here and it was a Saturday afternoon and I was off, and I was at a f- friend's house in Parker, and I had been drinking, you know, in the morning. This was Saturday afternoon at 2 o'clock, and I was driving to Hickory House to get some to get some food. You know, I was hungry. <laughs> and I got... As one does. Yeah, as one does when you're drinking. You know, you get hungry. <laughs> so I came up to that. It came up to Parker and uh, Main Street right there. You know how it's a yield? Well, I didn't yield. I just turned right onto Parker from Main Street, and the car behind me had to slam. The car that was coming straight had to slam on their brakes. Well, that little church up there on the corner, there was a cop sitting up there, and he saw the whole thing. He huh? saw this whole thing happen, and he came down the down the little hill and turned onto Parker Road and pulled me over, and you know had a nice conversation with him. I uh, did the whole sobriety test, the field test, and I blew a 0.16 mm. on a Saturday afternoon at 
like two in the afternoon. And he was, I was very nice and I was honest with him. Like officer, I've been drinking. I'm not going to lie to you. You're going to smell it. You already know. Like told him all the things. So this guy was very nice. And instead of, he was Douglas County Sheriff. Instead of taking me to jail, he took me to a detox center over off of Mississippi and 225 to everything. So by the time we got there, you know, I had originally blown a .16, which was well above for the DWI. Well, by the time we got there and I did paperwork and everything, he recorded my uh, BAC at a .13. So it saved me a little bit right. of, yeah. of trouble and time because I didn't have the point one six. So he was, he was very nice. You know, he let me, he wasn't going to let you get away. He with, wasn't going to let me get away with it, but he wasn't going to let me suffer, especially because it was, I've never been in trouble before. Right. I've been pulled over a couple of times here and there, but I've never, I've never been in trouble. Mike. Mm. <laughs> I've never done anything wrong in my life. So he let me, I sobered up there. Once I could blow a zero, they let you go. You, oh, really? Yeah. yeah, that works. Yeah, they let you go out the doors, but it was, you know. Took a little time. It took some time. It was like 8 o'clock the next morning before I, I could leave. But you got back and had my court dates and everything, and I didn't show up to my court date because it was in Castle Rock. And the car I was driving in that time got impounded, obviously, and... I lost that car as well. So I didn't have any mode of transportation or anything. So I missed my court dates. I didn't show up. I had a warrant out for my arrest. Uh, I was staying with this buddy that I was telling you about. And we got to February. And it was February 15th. And (laughs) Breeze asked me why this this date or whatever. He's like, what happened on the 14th? And I'm like, nothing. I know it's Valentine's Day, but nothing, nothing ever happened. It was just... I got to this point where I'm like, I can't, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of this life. I'm tired of getting drunk every day. I'm tired of, at the point in time, I didn't have my driver's license because it was suspended for my DUI. And I'm like, I couldn't get a job because you can't get a job without a driver's license. I was just tired of living this crappy life. Yeah. Where I had no accountability for myself, where... I just continued to drink, and I wasn't able to better myself because I couldn't get a job. So I think that's the one thing that helped through my addiction that made it last was because I was able to have a job and have money. So I was able to function and to keep this addiction going. But when you don't have a job and you don't have any money, then you realize, what am I doing? (laughs) Why am I doing this to myself? And I, like I said, it was February 15th, and I was like, okay. So the Avs were playing an outdoor hockey game in, in the Springs at that on that day. And I went to a bar and I didn't have any money, but I knew the bartender and I knew he would serve me alcohol without my ID. So I rang up, ran up like a $120 tab, got super drunk and then proceeded to walk out on the tab. Well, he called the cops, which is what I wanted him to do because I wanted to go to jail. I wanted to turn myself Oh, in. you did this all this on purpose. I, I, I premeditated this entire plan. Wow. Yeah. I knew if I went and couldn't pay my tab and tried to walk out, he would call the cops and I would get arrested, which because I didn't know how to, I've never been in trouble. I didn't know how to just 
turn myself in or do all these things. So I'm right. like, well, this sounds like a good way to get arrested. I know the cops will show up because they've done it for me before when I've called them on people. So the cops show up, they put me on the ground and arrest me. And then they took me to Arapahoe County. And I started my 17 days of fun there. <laughs> 17 days <laughs> So 17 of fun. days between three different jails was where. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. So I started at Arapahoe for a couple days. And then I got moved to, um, hmm, why is this blanking? I got no, moved, another county jail? Yeah, I got moved to another county jail before, after Arapahoe. So you have a few options. There's Adams County, Denver County, Douglas County. <laughs> well, Douglas is where I eventually ended up. Okay. I don't remember. Yeah. yeah. Jefferson County. No, it was somewhere around here. Maybe Arapahoe was <laughs> the second Elbert County. One. Maybe Arapahoe was the second one. I got, I wherever it was, we got to three different places. I finally made it to Douglas Why County. Why did you have to go to three different places? Because my warrant was in Douglas County. Oh, so but you got I, picked up in Arapahoe. And I think, okay, I started at Aurora. That's what it was. Started at Aurora Jail and then oh. went to Arapahoe County and then went to Douglas. Got it. Because I was at um, the Royal Hilltop over there off Tower in Hamden, over by the uh, the movie theater that serves you food. Okay. That's where I got arrested. So they took oh. me They took me to Aurora got it. first. Okay. And I had to get to Douglas because of my, that's where that was my just the warrant was. Okay. So then they transferred me to Arapahoe first. And then I finally got to Douglas County. And it was a pleasure, you know, a pleasure there. Pleasure. <laughs> so nice. The food's terrible, but it's, right. very, it's very nice. But so I got there on a Wednesday. Got there on a Wednesday. And I had my first court date on a Tuesday. And Monday night, I had went to, I had signed up to go to um, Bible study. And I got to Bible study, and there was this super skinny dude named Bob. You know, Bob. Oh, Bob. yeah, Bob. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yeah, skinny Bob. I, I haven't I, seen Bob, but I know Bob, Bob. Habu, Habu, in a while. Habu, 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 yes. Yes, skinny Bob was the man at, at Douglas County. Who led the Bible oh, so study. Bible study in Douglas yeah. County and Bob showed up. There you go. He, Got it. He, here's okay. the connection. Yeah. So Bob was talking to us about step seven. And Got it. he had the flyers and everything, you know, the little perforated the handfuls. Yeah. And he was telling us about step seven. I'm like, okay, well, because I knew once I got out that I wasn't gonna be able to go live with my parents. So I had to figure something else out. And I didn't know much about step seven. So this was a Monday night. And my first court appearance was on a Tuesday. And I, not knowing that I had nowhere to go, I didn't want to leave jail. I know that sounds really weird, but I had asked the judge to let me stay in jail. Like, let me serve my time there because I had nowhere to go. I, if I even got released, I was afraid of how am I going to get to any of my probation appointments? Like, I have no car, I have no place to live. Like, I'm literally going to go out on the streets and be homeless. Like, so please let me stay in jail. Right. <laughs> she did not let me stay in jail. <laughs> She's like, you are going to leave today. <laughs> wow. You have to figure out what you're going to do. But there's, like, my my crime didn't warrant me sitting in jail for weeks or months or yes, something. Yes, as much as I wanted to. So she released me and 
I went, you know, no car, nothing. So I started walking around Castle Rock and there. You have a phone? I have a phone. I had a phone. Oh, okay. I had a phone, which is good, but I had no one that wanted to help me. Like my dad wouldn't, didn't, they wouldn't let me come back to the house. Like it was, I knew I was going to probably spend that night on the streets in Castle Rock. Mm. So I left jail with, you know, the little reloaded card that my dad had put money on my commissary for and whatever I didn't use left. I had like 40 bucks or whatever. And there's, I can't remember the name of the restaurant, but there's this restaurant in Castle Rock. And I'm like, I've had crappy food for 17 days. I'm going to go have a nice hamburger. So I got there and I called my dad and I told him and he's like, okay, well, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I'm going to figure it out. He's like, all right, well, if you need anything whatsoever other than a place other to stay, <laughs> let me know. And I'm wow. like, okay. He's like, have you, you know, and the last thing he said to me was, what about uh, like a halfway house or something like that? And I'm like, no, heck no. I don't want to do that. Like, I want to not, I've now been clean for 17 days. I don't want to go. Well, that's to true. Is this your first time? Yeah, yeah. So days. I haven't Sober. drank in seventeen days. So my my date is February fifteenth of twenty twenty is my sober day, and I'm like I'm not. I, I've heard stories about halfway houses, and I know if I go to a halfway house, I'm not going to stay sober. And I wanted to stay. I was going to say you wanted to stay sober. I wanted to point. stay at that point. I wanted to stay sober. I'm like I just did seventeen days, so why not? So he mentioned halfway house, and I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. So we hung up the phone with him. And, you know, I, I left with the little plastic bag they gave you, and I started going through my stuff. And the pamphlet that I'd gotten from Bob the day before for Step 7 was there. And I looked at it, and I was like, oh, man, this sucks. Because it looked, the way I read it or interpreted it was, you know, you got to spend 90 days doing, you know, this ethos program before you can get into a house. And I'm like, I don't have 90 days to live on the streets like i can't afford <laughs> afford this 90 days i'm like whatever so i called the number brian answers the phone and you know start talking to him and everything and he's i tell him my story i tell him what's going on and i talk to him about my dad and he's like well, where's your dad and i'm like up north and he's like okay can he get you here. And I'm like, no, he wants nothing. <laughs> he wants nothing to do with me. <laughs> like, let's be real. And he's like, okay, well sit tight for a minute. And he's like, let, let me, he's like, let me figure something out and I'll call you back. And so I sat there and I called my dad and you know, you know, in our addiction, you get really good at lying to people. You get really good at telling people what you want them to hear. So they'll give you money. So I call my dad and I tell him, hey, I found a place to live. They're going to want, I don't remember what it was at the time, like $640. But he'll let me move in. Like, And my dad's like, no, this is, you're just trying to you get money out of it. me. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I'm being, I'm being real. And he's like, all right, well, what's the information? So I told him, you know, I gave him Brian's number. I told him all about it. My dad called Brian and, you know, verified that. Brian was real and, you know, I was not trying to, you know. <laughs> oh, so you were at this point not lying, but your dad thought I was thought still, lying. still trying to manipulate. Was, uh -huh. Okay, got it. He thought I was trying to get 650 bucks right. to do whatever I could, you know. So he still didn't believe that, but then he talked to Brian. And 
he confirmed that Brian was real and all this stuff. <laughs> he still was like, at some point, I think he still thought that I had, you know, hired someone to help me out <laughs> right. to extort $650 out of him. But so, so, you know, I'm sitting there eating my dinner and everything. And then Brian calls me back and he's like, you're at this restaurant. I'm like, yes. And he's like, all right, stay there. This dude named Matt is going to come pick you up. And I'm like, okay, cool. So about an hour later, Matt shows up and we get in his car and he's like, are you hungry? And I'm like, well, I just had a burger. And he's like, well, I'm hungry. So I'm going to Burger King. You want anything? I'm like, yeah, I would love another burger. Like, I'm not going to complain. I've been eating jail food for 17 days. So we get in Burger King and then he takes me to ethos for a Tuesday night group. And that was my first encounter with step seven walk in and, you know, meet Brian in person and the other seven or eight guys who were part of that group and feeling very weird and uncomfortable and like scared and is this three, all these things. And is this three years ago, February then? Yes. Yes. Okay. And so three years ago, February, right before ethos. Closed yeah. Down. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. too long ago. Yeah. Not long after that. So, you know, just feeling all these things, but I felt safe at the same one time, you know, I still was scared, but I felt safe. If that makes any sense whatsoever. It does. Hearing, <laughs> hearing these, hearing you guys' stories, yeah. like that does yeah. make sense. Cause you realize you're in a place where you can be yeah. yourself. And there's other guys who have similar stories, uh-huh. obviously, as right. I assume you heard. So, I mean, um, so you went from a Bible study with Bob on a uh-huh. Monday <laughs> to Tuesday night right. after court. Very next day. Yeah. Yes. Very next day, you you ended up in our uh, Tuesday night group yes. in the house that you would be living at for however long. Oh before. no, no. Uh, so this is where it gets better. So I didn't stay at Ethos. I went back with Matt and moved right into Paoli. Oh, I okay. Didn't, I didn't have to go through the the three month Ethos screening. I wonder or, if they were. Um, I don't getting ready why. to close it maybe, at that time, and maybe they were just, that's why. Yeah, but I I went straight home that night with Matt to Paoli and had your own room, had my own room and my own bed. <laughs> wow, what was and that like for you? It was it was interesting. Well, let me back up. So tell me, what each uh, group is an hour and a half, two hours, uh, hour and a half. You remember that night? How did it How did it feel? I don't that you don't? I, okay. I was so you felt safe and i felt awkward. safe but i was so like it was weird because you don't usually my times back in church like other than in high school or whatever i've never seen a group of adult men sitting in a room talking about jesus oh like, okay so it was that's where i think that weird right. part came in like I've been to church and I've been in Bible studies, this but isn't it, it? But it's been you know, man, male, female. Right, and right. It's been surface level and shallow, and I've never seen a bunch of men just sit around a group and be vulnerable and talk about their feelings. And I'm like, wait, that's my job, not everyone else's. <laughs> so, so it was, you know, I remember all the people that were there. I could, I could run through the list, but yeah. I'm not going to name their names, but. <laughs> I could run through a list of every dude that was there, but see their faces. I don't remember a single thing that Brian <laughs> spoke about that night. But all I knew is I just felt like, okay, there's something different, you know? yeah. And that's why I was like, I w- I didn't know much about Step Seven. Like the flyer doesn't explain much to you. 
and Brian didn't explain much to me in terms yeah, of the, you're, in terms you're only of hours phone, into this yeah, in terms of the phone call. So right. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know all these all these things. I just knew that there's eight dudes in this room talking about Jesus and <laughs> their feelings. I'm like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna go with this. <laughs> so then I I go home and you know there was another man named Joe who was there and who I met and yeah. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I don't know why I get emotional with Joe. <laughs> Joe's a good guy. So if you're listening to this podcast, this is episode um, 13. You've heard the names of all the houses probably said. Paoli's one of them. They're all, you know, the house, uh, the, uh, the street names. That's, what, that's how we name them. Paoli was one of the first houses. Daystar, I think, was the first. I'm, I don't know all the history. Hensif was the first house way back in the day. Hensif was the first sober living house? I think. I don't know. Paoli's up there, though. Paoli's up there. Anyway, yeah. Paoli's up there. You got into yeah. Paoli. You uh, met uh, these guys. Yeah. And so, you know, what you're finding in this home now mm. is the beginning of a community of men. Mm. Um, and uh, I know that you you got to know and Joe got to know you. And Joe was a huge yeah. influence on you over the next number of yeah. years. <laughs> years. Still. Uh, he, oh, of course. He still is. <laughs> and Joe's, Joe is a great example of transformation. Uh-huh. Um so anyway, um, you, you, you move into the house that night, that night. Yeah. And, um, tell me about that experience of the first couple of days being yeah. there, being in a home, a sober living home. Well, I'm just going to start with saying Paoli is the best house of all the houses that step seven does have. All right. It's, it's the dopest of the dope. I don't okay. care what anyone else says. <laughs> I'll make sure all the other guys listen to this and hear your commentary. <laughs> no, but it was it was interesting. So then that next day was funny because my my dad still was skeptical about what I was telling him. Right. So he would not. He wanted to come down to Parker to the house and meet Brian personally and hand him the check. For my rent for the first for the first month because I had told so many lies in the past. Sure, right? yeah, yeah. But so hard to you know, hard to blame he, him on that. My first day on that Wednesday in the house, he he had came down and Brian had came over and <laughs> my dad handed the check to Brian and met him and saw the house and realized that I've you know for probably the first time in years I was being truthful and honest with him and not trying to get over and serve my own needs. So, yeah. so we did that. And, it, you know, at that point in time, it was mainly Joe and I for a long time, you know, Matt had moved out then at a month later and just me and Joe hanging out and then quarantine happens and you're on lockdown in March, literally that same month. And me and him were sitting there. And I remember to this day, he, he always gives me crap, but there was, you know, I didn't have much at the point in time, so I would reuse Gatorade water bottles, and I would fill them halfway up with ice, put it in the freezer to let the ice melt, or to let the ice freeze, or the water freeze, so I would have a, a nice chunk of ice. And Joe, for the you know the longest time, thought that I had vodka in, oh. <laughs> in the Gatorade bottle. He, he would sit next to me on the couch and get all close to me, and he eventually told me one day, he's like, I thought you had vodka in there. I was just seeing and smelling <laughs> because it just seemed weird that you kept using the same Gatorade bottle. I'm like, this is all I know, Joe. <laughs> this is all I know. But ever since day one, it was just accountability with him. You know, 
but it was in a healthy in a healthy way ways that you never like you don't men don't hold other men accountable you know right not in my life prior to this yeah if you are trying to hold someone else accountable in my prior life it makes it look like you're being a jerk you like you're you're better than me but there's that weird diff not weird there's that different level of commitment here where i can hold you accountable and you grow and you become better for it you know a healthy accountability yes there are still times where it's taken in ways that aren't healthy but if i don't show up to a group it's okay but if i'm not at a group being held accountable and asking hey you okay that makes it a million times better you know there's not those games anymore of trying to one up the next person yeah it's actually i do care about you i want the best for you and i'm going to help you and see you succeed you know that's what i love about step seven yeah so you got settled into living in a house yes did you have any like um you said accountability is a really big factor Uh for you uh what um what other like i can't think of the right word features what did you like i guess best about living in a sober living home that you experienced Um. Being the best house of all of them, I guess. But being uh, the best house was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Just having that community, just having, like I said, I've never, I had guy friends growing up, but I didn't have guy friends to the level I had here at Step Seven. Yeah, like just because me and Joe spent every day together because we were kind of forced to. Like I had my the relationship I got with him was far better than any relationship I've had with people who I thought were my friends for the last 10, 12, 13 years, right. you know? So living in the house, it, it, it promotes you to grow. You can't stay stagnant living in a step seven house. Like there's yeah. no, there's no stagnant. There's no treading water. You're, you're growing. Yeah. You're staying active between, you know, if you're doing things the right way, going to group, going to church every Saturday, volunteering for trail cleanup. Like there's a lot of things that the community does that gives you the best opportunity to grow, but also to stay connected with the other guys. So you don't feel alone. You don't feel that abandonment or what we've been searching for. Sure. <laughs> but I got to know a different, a different God and Jesus over the time. Also, I was, that's what I was going to ask next. Yeah. How did that change for you or grow for you? It grew exponentially because I wanted it. You know, it's, I don't want to say this to sound mean, but sobriety has been easy for me because I want to stay sober. Like I don't want to ever be in that past life. I don't want to be that guy I was before. So like, it's really easy to choose to stay sober every day because of that reason like i like my life now (laughs) sure i do not want like yes i miss my kids but i wouldn't trade this life for anything because i don't like who i was so yes my relationship with god every day is different but the fact that i get to choose to stay sober today is the easiest choice i make right (laughs) because i don't want i've seen what that other coin looks like yeah and it's not fun you know <laughs> it's like you're you, you've gotten a taste of a much better life that's uh-huh. uh it's almost like you can't compare no 
that. No. I mean, you can, but it's like there's no comparison. No, there's not. Yeah. You I'll still mess up bad. and make mistakes every day, but I'm not going to make that mistake yeah. today. But just groups, groups were the thing that changed me a lot. Because as I said, I like to deflect. I like to, I love surface level. You are getting me out of my comfort zone. Like, <laughs> by doing <you're> welcome. This. <laughs> but I love the surface level because I, even though I'm very emotional, I don't like being emotional to that depth. Mm-hmm. I'll care all about you and all your emotion and cry for you, but I don't want you to cry for me. Like, right. It's hard. But then groups, you know, Brian, Brian forced me to grow a lot. He sure. would challenge me and I would leave groups numerous times and go home and I would be mad at Brian uh-huh. <laughs> because I'm like, this guy's making me grow. Like this guy's making me uncomfortable, <laughs> like not in a bad way, but he always forced me to be better. Like he always forced me to take the next right step. And sometimes it's easy to just stay back. I liked living in the back background, mm-hmm. you know? People knew who I was, but I didn't know anything about me. And I liked it that way. But step seven forces, not forces in a bad way, but forces you to sure. take ownership of who you were and take ownership of where you're coming and who you want to be, you know? And it's not for everyone, but it's scary. <laughs> it's a very scary thing when you don't do that for most of your life. <laughs> well, yeah, you're not used to, number one, taking responsibility no. for yourself and then you know this, but leadership starts with leading yourself. Yes. And part of that vision of Step 7 uh, Ministries is about yes. men being transformed into leaders. And you are and have kind of learned that through mm-hmm. the years. You've had, you've had, you had Brian pushing you along, mm-hmm. and in your home you had Joe pushing yeah. you along. So you had two really good guys helping you right. in that dynamic to get you, um, to get you right. making better choices. Um, so what was going on, say, for like with work? You were finding consistent work? Yeah, so I, st- it was, I started, uh, I, could, I knew I couldn't do what I was doing before. All I knew for the, the last, right yeah, now. all I knew for the last 11 years, 10 years of my life, or prior to that was 14 years of my life was bartending. Like, that's all I knew. And I knew I couldn't do that anymore. So Brian hooked me up with a, a guy named Bill. And he was a manager at a place called Tech Center Maintenance. Tech Center Maintenance. So I shoveled snow in the winter. And I cut grass in the the summer. And maintained bushes and everything throughout. So I worked for them for about a year and a half. You know, it was close-ish to Paoli. And during the time I, you know, Joe would drop me off. But during the time I was working on getting my license back. I had finished all my DUI classes and everything like that. But the last, the last part was getting my license back and it took a lot of work. Yeah. (laughs) It's very easy to lose, but very hard to get back. Yeah. You kind of don't realize how easy it is to drop it off. And then it it is very hard to get back. And I still have stipulations that I have to carry in SR 22, but Mm. I have a full active license again, and but it was a process of about a year, I think, to get you know going through the DMV. I think I remember when you got yeah. it, and and it didn't make it easier that I was trying to get my license back during COVID when oh, the yeah. DMVs were closed. Yep, I remember like, all that. 
and that and I don't know if it's helped me, but COVID was an easier way to stay sober because you couldn't go out and do most things. Yeah. Like it wasn't as easy to go, you know, hang out at a bar or stop by a liquor store because most of those places were closed. So, you know, I feel like God had these little we're gonna make this easier for you and right make you know, drop me off at the right time at Paoli, but we just, it's just, uh, there's a lot of struggle. There's a lot of, it's not easy. Yeah. Like, I'll tell everyone who's listening, like, this life's not easy. It's way better, though. But there's a lot of struggle. There's a lot of things that you got to, you know, overcome. But you can do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's possible. And if you want the better life, it's, you know, Jesus makes life better. At the um, end of the yeah, day, for sure, indoors. He open doesn't make and, it easier, but he makes it better. Yeah, you know. So that was a, one question I want to ask: is who is God to you now? Um, it changes. <laughs> There's moments, you know. I'm not perfect. I'm not the perfect what? Christian. Are you serious? I know it's amazing. Oh, amazing. come on! <laughs> but I'm not the perfect Christian. Like, there's times where my faith in God is super, super, super high, but there's other times where I'm just treading that water, you know, but I've always, you know, grown, but then they'll go back, going back to what you asked me about what I did. I, I live in the comfort zone. I love the comfort zone. And there was one night at group where I was a year and a half into doing my job and Brian and basically called me out and challenged me. We had a very deep emotional icebreaker about talking about, growing up and moving on and not being, you know, complacent. And he called me out and I was really mad at him. <laughs> I was so mad, but he, he was right. You know? So after that, I switched jobs, you know, I sell insurance now. And that, that was a process too, wasn't that it? Was a process, I remember that. that was a process as well. That took like three months, but I, you know, that's where I, that's when I feel closest to God when my relationship with God is, is when I'm doing things that are challenging and oh, okay. that aren't in my comfort zone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when I'm being forced to grow is when I grow closer to God and I have a very amazing wife that I met, you know. So that's where I was going to go yeah. next. Tell me, how did you guys, uh, how did you, how did you two meet? Tell tell me that story. So there's this there's this site called Hinge. You ever heard of no. it? No. Okay. So it's a dating site. You go on and you being married for 26 years. I don't know. I'm not familiar with <laughs> I'm all glad of the you're not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're not. So you go on and you fill out a couple questions about yourself. You post some pictures and you know you can filter it to however you want. And so I was four months sober, and I was like, you know, I have not had a girlfriend in a very long time but i'm sober so i can make this is gonna be easy right <laughs> so i signed up for this app you know tried it out for a while and it wasn't i wasn't liking it so i was literally getting the way this app works is you see pictures of people and you if you like them you can send them a message based off of their pictures okay it's not like swipe left or swipe right, right, right. like all these other <laughs> All these other ones. So I was I was legitimately getting on one night to delete the app because I was just I just yeah, I was over it. 
I've wanted to get frustrated, just get frustrated. Yeah. You know, I'm not the prettiest guy in the world. So I was taking <laughs> self-defeating shots. <laughs> so, so I was getting on to delete it. And there was this girl that right when you open the app, someone always pops up. So it wasn't like you have to like go through and look like you open the app and there's always a new picture or a new profile of a person. And there was this profile of this girl <laughs> and her name was Brie <laughs> or is Brie. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, you know what? She's very, very pretty. And the couple parameters that I wanted on there was they had like, if you drink or smoke or if you're a Christian and her profile said that she doesn't drink or smoke and that she's a Christian. And that's what another one of the hard things was knowing that I can't, be in a relationship with someone who does that because I'm going to fall right back into those same exactly. patterns. Yeah. And I don't want to be in a relationship. If I'm actively seeking a relationship with God, why do I want to be in a relationship with someone who's not? So right. those sense. are the two criterias other than being pretty and cute that, <laughs> you know, I, I looked for. <laughs> and so there was this picture when I opened up my phone and it was, you know, Bree and her, her cat sitting on the floor snuggling. I'm like, this is beautiful. You know, she's pretty. She doesn't drink, and she says she's a Christian. Everyone says we're Christian, right? <laughs> so I'm like, let's do it one more time. We'll try it out. So I sent her a message, and she responded back, and we started talking. And we talked forever and ever, and <laughs> nights on end. And I remember, you know, making Joe mad and another Matt at the same time mad because I would be laying on the couch or out on the patio till like one o'clock in the morning on my phone and they're talking like, to Brie. Can you freaking stop talking to her <laughs> so loud? Cause my voice is very loud and it carries apparently. That's what, that's what people tell me. I people don't, say I don't, I don't, it does I don't see that, but they were very, they, they weren't, they weren't having it. <laughs> so, you know, we started talking and you know, we started this, dating slash courtship era and time and you know october 25th of 2022 2021 god i'm terrible with days it was my birthday my good old 37th birthday and it was actually the same day that i asked her to be my wife and she said yes it was very I'm very happy. That was a good day. <laughs> that huh? was a good day. I got older and a wife all on the same day. Wow. <laughs> or a fiance at the time. <laughs> but no, so it's just, you know, we've done, we've been through a lot, you know. Being in a relationship with a Christian person doesn't, like I said, doesn't make life easier. <laughs> it, nothing makes life easier, it just makes it better, you know. Yeah. But we've had struggles. <laughs> we've had great times, we've had bad times, but I would not want to be in a relationship with anyone who doesn't want God as at the forefront of their life either. And we've been to numerous church services together. We've done all these things and just growing with someone. Like I didn't have that with my first wife. Right. Like we kind of did the church thing, but not consistently, not whatever, but having someone like Bree who wants that makes, yeah, just makes it amazing. I love her. <laughs> She uh, she's sitting across the room from us. Uh, <laughs> he's looking right at her. But um, you, your story includes this transformation of um, sobriety mm -hmm. to um, a better life. Mm -hmm. Not you said the easier life. You've yeah. grown yourself into uh, a challenging job. Yep. Um, and now a, a great but challenging marriage relationship. Right. And um, what is you know how do you see the future 
happening right now? What, how's the future look for you? Well, right now it looks married, you know, I don't know how I don't want it. That's a hard part. Like thinking about the future is hard because I've done that so many times before and it doesn't work out the way. So you you want to stay in the present moment. Yeah. I like the present moment, but all I know is I'm going to be sober today. That's all I can. Yeah. That's the only thing I can control. If I stay sober today, it's going to lead to a better tomorrow. Right. Because if I don't stay sober today, I lose a lot. Yeah. I lose a wife. Yep. I lose. You lose what you, you lose what you've yeah. gained and worked hard to get. And yeah. You lose family. You lose friends. You lose all this progress, you know. Right. Well, you don't it's live in this place. Two and a half years of progress. I know, but you don't live in this place of almost losing something oh, you live no, in this place no, of yeah, uh recovery no. of yeah progress of course, um, of course. I, I know you know the difference yeah um, no, but you that, you also see the the uh, the consequences of yes. a couple of bad choices and that's where i think i didn't see it before it was like i continue to just drink and continue to be in this addiction and it was like all of now i realize that my choices affect other people all i thought about before was what can I get out of this? It'll, it'll work itself out in the long run. But now when I talk about losing things, it's the fact of not losing. Well, I would lose them for good, but it's like the damage that my choices have. If I choose to do something bad again, because I don't want to hurt another wife or hurt Mm -hmm. another family or hurt my parents again, you know, but it's just living. This life is, it's not easy, but it's, better it's better you know what's your relationship with your parents like now it's gotten gotten better you know my dad's always been you know we've always had a good relationship he doesn't trust me at times but he's always talked to me but my relationship with my mom's gotten better stay we went for months slash years without talking and you know it took her about a year and a half before she met Bree, not because of anything I did wrong, but just of her, mm-hmm. her old, the, the baggage that was sure. there. But, you know, we've been, I've seen my mom more in the last year than I have in the last three. So oh, good. You know, so doing this whole journey has restored that relationship yeah it's not perfect <laughs> it may never and get back to time her. it yeah. may never get back to perfect but we are civil and we can talk and text and have a have a conversation which there was times before that that wouldn't have ever been possible mm. so it's progress progress and jesus progress. is the, jesus is the one who can make that possible yes that's yes, great he is so as we kind of finish up with you today here bobby tell me what would you want to tell somebody out there mm. who's listening to this our audience is those guys out there who right. need this right. and, and the loved ones who need this uh, as well for their, their loved one. What would you tell that person out there who's seeking recovery, who wants sobriety? That you don't have, it's not going to be perfect. That you're going to make mistakes daily. You know, it's not going to just click. In one second. You have to put the work in. But the value and the benefit of putting the work in is so much is better than you'll ever imagine. You know, you're not going to the relationships, the way you feel about yourself, the 
the way people see you. That's where the value's at. Not the person who I thought I was anymore, but the person I'm becoming. But it's hard. I said, there's, there's days, but having that mindset of I'm going to stay sober today has helped me in the last two and a half years every day. You know, it. I see myself as, I still know I'm an addict, but I see myself as someone who, I don't see that old Bobby anymore because I am so far from who he was that I'm so thankful I'm here right now. Yeah. It's it's a process. I've seen a lot of guys. <laughs> I've seen a lot of men who I've grown relationships with who just can't figure it out. And I want you to figure it out because this life is so much better. <laughs> and it's going to take work. It's not easy. Sure. <laughs> it's not easy, but... If I can do it, anyone, <laughs> anyone can do it. <laughs> you know, I didn't think, to be honest, I never would have thought I'd be sitting here two and a half years sober, ever in my life. I didn't think I had a problem for years of my life. You know, I may have had a eight, nine, six, seven year addiction, but I never thought I'd ever say I'm sober. You know, because that's. I don't know. It's just <laughs> here we are, and here I'm sober, and I'm never happier. Like, yeah. I couldn't imagine anything different. But to those guys, just you can do it. You know, you're fi- you owe it to yourself to do it. I want this life to last longer because God wants me here longer than because my body gave up on me. Sure, because I used, abused it and used it in ways it shouldn't have been. Right, but you can do it. Yeah. It's possible. The sober life is better than it is. The addictive life. <laughs> it's so much better. You know, I have a roof over my head. I have a bank account with yeah. money in it. Like I have family members who care about me. Like it's not all about the the worldly things, but it's nice to have worldly things mm-hmm. and not just an addiction anymore. Yeah. You know, and so. Bobby, thanks for sharing. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate. This is it. a great. <laughs> I appreciate your story. I tell these guys it's an. Every one of these stories is sacred ground to me. Yeah. So well, you've you. shared from places yeah. today that have uh, <laughs> been deep yeah. for you. And I know we could have gone even deeper, but we're <laughs> we not going to sit here for a six-hour therapy session. So <laughs> well, thank you, this Mike. is you sharing your story. Thank you so much, Bobby. Thank you. Appreciate it. And today, with this episode of the Step 7 podcast, we're going to do a first. This is something I've been wanting to do for uh, some time. And so I've told the guys as I have talked about going through this process that I want to spend some time with loved ones and family members who have experienced um, the the life of one of these guys sober. So today I have with me, um, you've heard Bobby talk about her already, and we're in their house, so I thought this is the best time to do this. I'm going to sit with Bree now. And so welcome, Bree, to the Step 7 Ministries podcast. Thank you so much. This I'm excited so cool. to be here. This yeah. is awesome. So um, I... Uh, you didn't know Bobby before he was sober. So as you've, if if you've listened to the, me- the message, the story here in the last number of uh, minutes here, you two met after Bobby had already been sober on this uh, hinge. See, I don't know anything about dating apps, <laughs> having been married, but you guys met on this this app. I think it's pretty cool that he was about to turn the app off. Yep. And there's a chance with all the algorithms that you two never would have met. Well, and what's funny about that is that I actually that night had just set up my profile. 
Oh, really? I had just downloaded the app. You two app. were definitely meant to be together. I had then. just downloaded the app. I had a friend that was pushing me to get back into the dating pool and just said, just join an app and meet somebody. And so I was literally, and I'm getting goosebumps telling the story. I was sitting on my couch right over there, putting the pictures on my profile and setting it up. And here comes this message from a guy named Bobby. And here we are married two years, or yeah, a year or two years later. So wow. here we are. <laughs> so you can share as little or as much as you want. Um, but you, we talked briefly before we sat down today. Yeah. Um, you have a background. You, were you previously married? I was. Okay. So in... I know you told me a little bit about your background because I think I really do think God was in this. The more I'm, you know, hearing yeah. this and understanding this, God, I think, was in the two of you getting together. Absolutely, because of some of your background. Can you share mm-hmm. a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so I'm born and raised in Colorado. Um, my dad was an alcoholic. Um, he, for as long as I knew, he was, you know, into drugs and alcohol. Um, a functioning alcoholic, if I remember correctly, he passed when I was seven. Um, and so for a long time, it was just my mom and I, Mm. um, but I was a daddy's girl through and through. So when I lost him, I kind of lost my world for a while. Um, and that's something I've really struggled with even in my adult years of just coming out of that, um, a lot of therapy over that, but, um, you know, it was always my mom and I, and, um, I struggled for a long time thinking that my dad passed because of me, because I was seven years old. And the last thing I remember was telling my mom that I didn't want my dad picking me up from school because I knew he was going to be drunk. Mm. Um, and then the next thing I know, he was gone. Um, and so for a lot of years, I thought it was my fault. Um, and so it's been, um, I don't, I mean, I don't know the addiction because I haven't experienced it firsthand in my own body, but being somebody that has witnessed that from a parent. And then in my previous marriage, I chose a spouse that had a very similar background and history of my dad, um, into drinking and drugs. And so that's always what I've gone for because it's what I knew. And I knew that with getting back into, as my friend said, the dating pool and trying again. And after I went through my divorce, um, I knew I wanted somebody sober and I wanted somebody Christian. Same thing that Bobby said. And you had so the same criteria I had those up, exact same two criteria on my profile. the algorithms bring you together on that. Exactly. <laughs> um, because my my first husband was not a Christian. He was experiencing, or I guess not experiencing, but um, experimenting with faith. He wasn't sure what that was for him. So he was trying it out, but I grew up in a church. I grew up going to youth group and um, Bible studies and mission trips and, you know, in college fell away from that, but then slowly got back into it after. And, uh, and then in the last, I want to say four or five years, I've been more dedicated to my faith than I have in my entire life. So when you, um, uh, downloaded the app and turned it on and, Found the one and only person in the app. <laughs> How long had you not been married at that point? Um, I'd been divorced for a little over a year and a half. Okay. So still, it, it wasn't too many years no, removed. No, it was then. pretty recent. Um, and I wasn't looking for anything super serious. I wasn't looking for um, my next husband. I literally was just trying something out just right. to yeah, see. Yeah. And here we are. So my plan didn't work, but his plan's always better. So, so you don't have to go into detail because this would be hours, but <laughs> a few minutes ago, we heard about Bobby on the phone for so many hours yep. while he was at Paoli. Uh-huh. What was going on on the other end of that phone call? Uh, how, how are you getting to know this guy? What was you, what were you finding out about him? Um, 
there was a lot of, I mean, obviously hours on the phone call. I think there were even times where it would be like two o'clock in the morning and he'd be like, yeah, I have to get up in like three hours to go to work. And I'm like, we should probably go to bed then. Like we should probably hang up and go to bed. No, I'm good. I'm like, all right. So we would just keep talking and talking and asking questions and, um, and I actually still have a screenshot in my phone of one of the questions I asked him, um, how has God changed his life? And it, and I remember vaguely how it says that um, to become more comfortable in his own skin and to um, be able to grow and the relationship that he's had with God. Um, and this was just four months into his sobriety at that point that um, he was really growing into, he could already tell he was going into the man that God wanted him to be um, and to be able to take the pressure off of himself um, to have to do all the things. How did that sit with you to hear that from him? It was refreshing. Yeah? It was really refreshing um, because, you know, as he said, everybody could put Christian on their profile. Yep. I Yes, I wanted a Christian man, but I also wanted a man of God. I wanted somebody that knew his Bible, that knew the stories, that knew God's character. Um, and he showed me that. And that's one reason why I asked that question, because I didn't want just, you know, a checkbox of, yeah, I'm a Christian, because I've had that before. Yeah. And it wasn't the real deal. And so um, when I saw that, I was like, okay, he is who he says he is. <laughs> like, I, I can move forward in this. And uh, a lot of you know, days of text messaging and nights of phone calls. And, um, and of course it was in the middle of COVID. And so we couldn't go out on dates. We couldn't do a lot of those things. And so we literally had the phone to really build that foundation for us. And, um, I learned a lot about him. He, you know, was terrified to tell me of his struggles with, um, alcohol and that he didn't have a car and um, that he, you know, wasn't driving or that he had kids. And these were hard conversations that we were having right off the get-go because we've both been married before. We've both done this before. Right. That we don't have any room to hide anything. Um, there's no point in that for yeah. us. And so very intentional from the beginning of like, we're going to talk about the hard stuff because that's where transparency and growth and foundation comes from. Um, and here we are. <laughs> you two dove into the deep end right we, away. We, we, very fast. We did very fast because I think we'd both been so hurt before that like we weren't going to waste each other's time if it wasn't going oh, to, that makes sense. Yeah. to go somewhere. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we dove head first and it's been great. What did you uh, think of or feel about or what were your impressions about Step 7 Ministries as you got to know Step 7 through Bobby and other guys around him? Um. I remember the first time I went to a Step 7 Saturday Sabbath church service, and it was actually for his baptism. And I remember walking in the room. Wait, wasn't, Bobby, were you the one that got baptized with buckets thrown at you? Yes, he did. I remember seeing the video of that. The, whole, the <laughs> Home Depot orange buckets. That's right, I There were like that. six or seven guys surrounding him, and they just all threw it at him in the middle of the parking lot. Yeah, to be COVID safe. COVID baptisms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's where, that was, that was my time. very first time okay. experiencing Step 7. And I remember sitting in that room, um, you know, having a background of knowing alcoholism and addiction and all of that through my parents, or through my dad, excuse me, and um, my ex-husband thinking that I wish this was around when my dad was here. Mm, yeah. That was the very first thought that came into my mind. Um, how special of a community it is to um, 
come in and raise up these men to be leaders, but also to set them free from the things that are holding them back, to give them a safe space of community to where it's not um, a traditional sense of sitting in a room, naming yourself what you don't want to be anymore and moving forward. That that doesn't get you, in my book, anywhere, um, other than just being able to sit there and like free each other and really dig into the meat and potatoes of um, what's going on and be vulnerable with one another. And I just remember sitting there being like, I wish this was around when my dad was here. I don't know if he would have done anything with it. I don't know. Honestly, I don't remember much. Um, you know, my dad would go to church, but I don't think he would have even taken step seven seriously. Yeah. But just in my heart and my thought, that's where I wanted was, I wish there was something like this earlier in life um, so that they could save more and more men. Yeah. And so as uh, you got to know Bobby and I mean, and every time I don't get to the worship every single week, but every time I've gone, you yeah. two have been there. Yep. Uh, and you've grown to be a part of step seven in and of yourself, uh, just in terms of the community and organizing things mm-hmm. and even leading some things out. And, you know, one of the things that stopped with COVID and you two don't remember this because you weren't there with pre COVID, although maybe you were Bobby, the, um, potlucks every single week. And so that was such a fun dynamic after mm-hmm. every worship service at, at the church. And I don't think it's back yet to be every single week, is it? I think it's at the end of the month. It's like okay. the last Saturday of the month now. Yeah. Um, so it's once a month. Okay. Yeah. But it's still fun. And I mean, he's talked about, I think there was one um, potluck that he went to before it shut down. Oh, okay. Um, and so I never experienced it. Right. Um, so being able to like break bread with each other after service and just build those relationships in that community is just, it's so fun to be a part of the group. And it really is a family. Um, yeah. It really is a family where we're going to get mad at each other. We're going to get frustrated, but we're also really going to laugh and have fun and grow together. And you know, at the end of the day, like people have your back to you can call on for anything with our wedding. I can't even tell you how many people were like chipping in with our wedding of, you know, we had one guy from step seven that was our DJ and, um, you know, Justin was all over the place with doing our music. I was like, there's nobody else I want to do our music. That was Justin, um, both of our groomsmen and, um, just the different people that were like, Oh, we'll help do that. Oh, we'll help do that. And it was really cool to have, that background and that family to just come in and be like, yes, we want to support. We want to help. How can we, you know, make this a fun time for you guys? Yeah. So that was really cool. So you were, you weren't even on the outside so much because now you are part of the family, but at the same time you, you, uh, watch the community part of Mm -hmm. that happen as you two, um, decided that you were going to get married. And, um, so what was your, um, appeal to say, I want to spend the rest of my life with this guy? (laughs) Um, His patience and his heart and the way that God was building him up to be the leader that he is. Um, I've struggled with mental health for a while. I have pretty severe anxiety that I deal with. And um, he didn't shy away from that. And said he, and I think the skills that he lot through discipleship and um, things that Step 7 was teaching him about how to lean in to those hard times and those troubles and not to run away anymore, he really leaned into what I was struggling with and came alongside of me as a partner and, you know, would rub my back if I was having an anxiety attack or would hold my hand or he, he was loving the way that Jesus would love. And that's what Step 7 was telling him and showing him 
how to be of this is how we love someone. Um, this is how we stay. This is how we, um, you know, push forward when we're going through tough times. And um, that's when I knew that he's not one that I'm going to ever have to worry about leaving, which is hard because I've struggled with abandonment for, I mean, I thought my dad abandoned me when I was little, when mm -hmm. he passed away, yeah. um, when he physically wasn't here. Um, you know, my ex-husband, I felt abandoned in my marriage. Um, and so I have struggled with abandonment and to trust myself again with another male that, um, was hard, but he kept showing me that this is how Jesus loves and, you know, Jesus says you're worth it. And so I say you're worth it. Um, and that was one thing that I still struggle with. And I have to remind myself every day, like I'm worthy of mm -hmm. this marriage, of this love, of God's love. Um, but that's just how I knew that it was going to be okay. And it was, um, it's always going to, you know, we're following Jesus. So there's nothing more that we could do, but follow that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Bobby had his answer, but at the same time, how do you feel about, you know, you two, your future together? I'm, you know, in the same boat with him of just enjoying being married. We're, you know, two months in, but yeah, it's not that many. It's not that many. <laughs> and so just to even think about like future, it's exciting. Yeah. You know, there's trips I want us to take or um, things that I want us to do and, you know, all of that. But right now I just want to enjoy being married and enjoy um, building the even more of our foundation and um, getting involved with, you know, church and volunteering or hanging out with friends or, you know, just being able, we both have very hospitable um, personalities where we love just being around people mm -hmm. and um, just having those moments together and being with our community. Yeah. It's funny you say that because there was one, if you listen to Joe's story, mm -hmm. the first 20 minutes of his recording was in Paoli. Mm -hmm. um, and we had to quit it because I was having technical problems. <laughs> but then you two showed up because you're going to watch football and that was what you do on Sundays. And yep. it was just, that's what you're going to do and have everybody there. And yep. I thought that was, uh, they set up the three TVs in the living room and it was the football house of everybody's coming over and, um, and now it's our house. So, <laughs> um, your house is the football house. Now? Our house is the football house. Somehow we're going to fit two more TVs in our living room, which I'm looking at right now. And he's going to have to get very creative <laughs> with, but it'll happen and it'll be great. <laughs> yeah. That'll be so, fun. But we just love having people over and spending time with our friends and family. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, Bri, Bri, I so appreciate you sharing. What, let me just ask the same kind of question I asked Bob, uh, Bobby, um, when we finished up, but what would you tell that, that loved one out there, um, who is seeking for someone, to, their loved one to find recovery mm -hmm. uh, and sobriety? What would you tell that person who's listening to this? Uh, I would say the very first thing is probably the hardest, but you can't want this for them. They have to want it for themselves. Yeah. Um, I wanted my dad to be sober. I remember as a little girl, dad, why are you drinking? Or finding him with a handle of vodka um, in the middle of the night, you know, 2 a.m., having his quote unquote adult water. Um, and so growing up, I wanted my dad's um, sobriety for him. And the one thing that I've learned with Bobby and his sobriety is like, I can't choose for him to be sober. He has to make that choice for himself. I can support him and I can provide resources, but really, and I can love and I can pray and I can be there um, for him to, to come hold or lean on or cry to or whatever. But he has to want this for himself. And I can support all I want, but he has to hold himself accountable at the same time. So that's probably the hardest part because so many times we want this for them, but they don't want it for themselves. So we'll push it 
to where um, it just ends up pushing them further and further away. So just being able to sit there and listen if they're having a tough day, um, being able to, you know, hold their hand or pray with them or um, but not wanting it for them, allowing them to be that driving force. Well, yeah, you can want it for them, but you can't make them. Right. And that, yeah, that's what I mean. I like you, you can't, you, you can't, you, you can't make it happen can't make for it them. Happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, exactly. I wish that I could have made my mom sober too, but I couldn't. Right. Unfortunately. So yeah, exactly. And it's just, it, it's heartbreaking to watch mm-hmm. and you, your, your heart, your seven year old heart broke and is still broken. Oh yeah. And, uh, my 50 year old heart is still mm-hmm. broken because my mom died because of it. So it's, yeah. it's, you God's nature is not that he's ever going to force anything. Love doesn't do that. No. So, and that's what I'm hearing you say is that yeah. you love your loved one. Right. But you, we cannot ultimately make yeah. that person. And I think I spent a lot of time and a lot of years stuck in that spot saying that I could have changed it, you know, either for my dad or for my ex-husband. But with Bobby, I know that, and I think I've just grown and matured and gone through experiences to where I know now that, um, he has to be that driving force for himself and I can love on him and support him in every which way um, so that he can get to that goal for himself, but I, I can't do it for him. Right. Um, and then other than that, just really finding a good community um, that will love on you through it because there will be really hard days. You know, there will be times where like there's been one time, one or two times in our relationship that he's gotten in the car and he was like, wow, I didn't struggle with not drinking during that social event, but, or normally I don't struggle drinking during a social event, but I just did. And I haven't in a long time. Can we talk about it? Mm. But finding that safe space, uh, with people around you that you can really call on or lean on and they have the same values, they have the same morals and beliefs and, you know, whatever that looks like for them, but finding that safe space to have somebody to go to in that moment to be like, Hey, I'm struggling with this and I don't know what this looks like, but it's messy. Can we talk? And being able to, feel safe in that sure yeah that's huge because because an addict's safety is the addiction right which is not healthy but right. it can be safe in a weird way yeah but if you offer that safety in a you know non-judgmental way in a loving way yep uh and patient way by the way very patient uh, <laughs> you know that can make all the difference and even save a life mm-hmm. for sure one thing that I think what that always sticks out to me about our relationship is that because we did dive into those really tough questions early on in our dating and all of that, the very first thing we said to each other was it's a judgment free zone over and over again, every night on the phone call, if we had something tough to share with the other person or we were going to get into something deep or um, something traumatic from our past or, you know, anything we would always say, you're not going to judge me, right? And it's like judgment-free zone. Right. And so just carrying that through in all of our relationships of like, this is a safe space, judgment-free zone, say what you need to say. Like, that's what we're here to do is love each other. Yeah. Um, and so carrying that out and I think creating that space for others is really important. Sure, definitely. Very good. Anything else you'd want to say? I don't think so. The, this well, has been fun. Yeah, thank Thanks you so much. Thanks for having me on. You. It's been great. This is my first jump into this other than the guy and in this part of the the podcast and it's been great. So I really appreciate you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's been fun. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the step seven ministries podcast. If this story spoke to you and you'd like to help support this ministry, just go to step org and click on support. If you or someone you love is in need of recovery from addiction and are willing to consider Jesus as your higher power. We also invite you to give us a call. See if step seven ministries is right for you. 
Located in Parker, Colorado, Step 7 Ministries is a small group-based ministry where men share their lives while finding true life application right out of the Bible. There are sober living homes and a weekly worship service, along with many opportunities to grow, learn, and serve together. Just go to step7.org and click on the process button to learn more.